1: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host,
0: Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, happy 4th of July and welcome to this Independence Day broadcast of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras i don't know about you but the fourth of july is one of my favorite holidays from the pure standpoint that i get to celebrate the freedom you know being a citizen of this country one of the greatest countries in the world I'm, I'm very happy to call myself an American. I'm very proud of this country and what we do and everybody who lives in it. And not everybody, but because there's there's some real scumbags out there, but you get the point. And uh, hopefully everybody else that's listening to this has the opportunity to enjoy this holiday with friends and family. And remember what this is holiday is all about it's about this country and the blood sweat and tears that is the foundation of this country so uh hopefully everybody gets a opportunity to just uh think back a little bit about what makes this country so great the freedoms that we have compared to other freedoms you know throughout the world and um or lack of freedoms i should say throughout the world and uh just uh consider yourself blessed man that's all that's all I'm asking but on today's podcast we are going to be talking with Alabama native Chris Morris uh, he's been on the podcast before but this podcast we talk about his decision to move from a wrist release to a thumb release and why he says that is the best decision he's ever made when it comes to changing up his archery equipment. So that's what today's podcast is about. Now, quick commercial, Exodus Trail Cameras, they are a badass company. I don't know if you guys, uh, for those for those guys out there who already have an Exodus Trail Camera, um, if you've, if you've ever had a problem, and I know a lot of guys can speak on this because I can speak on this, being a customer as well, you call them up if you have a problem and they will respond to you or they will answer the phone or they will email you back. They are deeply embedded in, in customer service because they realize that Exodus would not be in existence if it wasn't for their customers. And they are, they are 100% customer-focused company, and they're direct-to-consumer, which is perfect. There's no middleman, right? There's the company, and then there's the consumer. There's Exodus, and then there's you. And it's like a handshake, man. So before you go out and buy another trail camera, you really need to look at exodusoutdoorgear.com, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Take a look at the cameras that they do offer. Very, very, very good cameras. Um, The best part about their cameras is you turn them on and they work. Period. That's pretty simple, right? There's a lot of other companies I can't say the same thing about. But Exodus, badass company. You need to take a look. ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And when you do decide to purchase, you need to enter the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS. And you will receive $20 off of your trail camera purchase. That's a pretty good deal. So take advantage of that. Thanks, Exodus, for being a partner of this podcast. Please go out and support them because they support this podcast. And if you like this podcast, man, go support Exodus. I think I just said that two times in a row, but just differently. Anyway, let's get into today's Gear Talk podcast with Alabama native Chris Morris. Happy 4th. All right, on the phone with me for, I think this is the second time you've been on the podcast uh, Oh man! A couple years ago, Mr. Chris Morris, how you doing, man?
1: Oh man, we're doing good.
0: Doing good. How, are you, how are you out there in Iowa? You know, it was uh, it was hot up here last week, but it's not South Alabama hot.
1: Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been pretty brutal down here. We've having uh, heat advisories, hot heat indexes in the uh, up in the hundreds. Uh, it's, it's been pretty brutal. Right. The, the humidity is what kills you down here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can remember when I lived down in Alabama, I would uh in the back seat of my truck, I would always have a extra t-shirt or two wh- wherever I would go. So that way if I had to stand in line somewhere or be outside for a <laughs> short period of time or long period of time, whatever, uh just switch shirts real quick and then I'd lay the other one on the dash, dry it out and just like switch shirts all day if I had to. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's miserable. Yeah, I think a lot, me and my wife were talking the other day. I'm sure uh, a guy from the north who come down to vacation on the beaches or Disney World. They're kind of in for a culture shock if it's their first time down because, like you say, you will you will be drenching wet in just right. a, a matter of no time. Right,
0: absolutely. <laughs> but
1: but when you live when you live through your old life, you get used to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like I'm sure you guys are used to the uh, several feet
0: of snow you get every year. Right. Right. I, I don't know if I told <laughs> this story. I remember. Oh man, what year was I down there? 2005, I think it was, or mm-hmm. late 2004, yeah. early 2005 is when I ended up moving down there, and right. uh, I was living in a town called Hartsel and working in Hunt, uh, a Decatur, and yeah. I. <laughs> I remember one day it snowed, oh man, like a quarter of an inch, and it wasn't even sticking on the roads, and they <laughs> closed everything down. Everything was closed down.
1: That's, that's the way it is down here. We we get snow maybe once, you know, in my part, they get a little more up there, but down here we get it like once every five or six years, you know. We, we, we have, I think my son's 15, he's seen maybe... Three snows, two yeah. or three snows, his entire life. But you, you're right. When it snows, the ice storms, the roads just we everything shuts down because we're not used to driving on that stuff, and, and we don't have the equipment to keep the roads clean either. Right? They right. don't salt the they don't have enough equipment to salt all. You know, a lot of times they don't get all the bridges salted or push the snow off the roads. So you just got a mess down here. Yeah, no infrastructure is in... just not built for it. Yeah.
0: Well, and there's no point of. uh buying snow plows and all that salt if it, you know, like you said, one time in five years, in 15 years. <laughs>
1: all right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, once every, once every three to five
0: years. So mm-hmm. before we get into the rest of the podcast, why don't you tell everybody about where whereabouts in Alabama do you live and what do you do for a living?
1: Sure, I'm uh, located about probably 90 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, which is approximately an hour north of Mobile, Alabama. Okay. and I uh, lived here lived here my whole life i work uh work in the agricultural chemical industry we make uh, insecticides and uh herbicides for the uh for industry agriculture industry
0: gotcha gotcha cool um sure. so how did your 2017 season end up it was pretty
1: good uh i killed i got two bucks. Uh, we're allowed three in Alabama but I usually only try to shoot uh, you know, one it's like one or two mature bugs. I we try to uh I mean I try to shoot a good, you know, four to five year old bug if possible, you know, but uh so I only got one of them this year and and I killed uh and that was with my with my rifle, then I killed one in Kansas with my boat. Gotcha. so it was it was a pretty good year.
0: Good. Good deal. Um And just kind of curious, down where you live and hunt in Alabama, what is the rut timing down there? It's
1: the last week of January into the first couple weeks of February. Wow. Our season. That's why they extended our season here four to five years ago to include the first 10 days of february because a lot of the uh counties in the southern part of the state was missing the rut entirely the deer wasn't the deer weren't even running when the season go out well on the 31st of january so okay. but the last the last week of january is pretty consistent in a lot of areas but like i said in the southern part but uh but that they'll they'll keep going into february and occasionally i mean if, you know if, if the piece of property has a old population of those, you know, they come back in the second time. They'll be on it in February, and March sometimes.
0: Wow. That's, that's funny yeah. because I typically start shed hunting in Iowa, <laughs> like as your rut is winding, winding down.
1: <laughs> yeah. Man, that's yeah. crazy. That's, that's, that's a good thing. Know, we'll come out to Kansas and hunt in like uh, November, you know, hunt the rut out there. Then we come back home and up the road a piece. they have a, uh, uh december rut around christmas rut and then uh and then down here we at uh hours hour two south we'll have a, a rut around you know end of january so you good so you know if you make the trip out midwest
0: and then hunt around here in a few places you can get two or three different ruts you know which is a lot of fun so you go one season. you go to kansas you come back and your wife's mad at you because you've been gone so long, and and then you have time to make her happy again before That's before right. the, your rut That's hits. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do a lot of do a lot of the honeydews in December when it's when it's kind of kind of a dead period down here anyway. In December, so you so you got plenty of time, like I say, to do the honeydews and get on the good side, and then hit it hard again in January.
0: That's right. So. What about what about Northern Alabama? Because I think I had someone on from Northern Alabama who talks about mm-hmm. uh, maybe a late November, early December rut. Is that is that accurate?
1: I believe so. I don't I don't know anybody that hunts in North Alabama, but I know all over the state. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of east to west, north to south. There's no rhyme or reason a lot. I guess it's for of a lot of the the deer with the restocked in the areas uh different you know they own them different cycles and I, th- I think you have you have some uh you have some november i mean i think i think some parts of i don't have a november rut i'm not extremely certain on that but yeah i know there's some in early december i know there's some around christmas um there was a certain area i hunted it, it has part part of early january they seem to start rutting there and then but most most of the places in at least southwest Alabama is, like I say the last week of January. But it's it's just it's all over the place down here when you get to the southern half of the country. Or yeah. the southern but Alabama, Florida, South Georgia.
0: Right. Yeah, that's Mississippi. Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy 'cause I even think I had I've had some guy on. I, I can't remember if he was from Alabama or let's see, Mississippi borders you to the west. So I think it might have even been it does, in, yeah. in southern in in Mississippi where the guy was telling me that he, the property that he hunts experiences Mm -hmm. two different ruts because he, it's like a line. There's like an imaginary line that runs through like a a mile where a mile to the West of where he lives is a November and then a mile to the East is like a January rut. So he, he gets to experience two different ruts Mm -hmm um that kind of all overlap each other so man that would just be crazy
1: yeah i haven't heard of that but it's crazy so it's real
0: crazy i did hear someone uh, on, uh
1: it may have been someone on the, the hunts in Georgia, was on one of these podcasts he was like i think he yeah, it's one of them huge national forests over there it's like i don't know 20,000 acres 30,000 acres and like uh like on the one side of the national forest like the deer are around this time frame then like say on the complete opposite side. they might be running like a month or two later but yeah. so that is just that's, that's crazy we was on the saddle for him. yeah they was talking about that yeah it's pretty crazy
0: so so you had a decent year this year uh you get an opportunity to take uh your kid out with you
1: well he, he he's 15 now he hunted a little when he was younger but he's he's just about uh i guess you get to the teenage years and right they start going girl crazy. He don't really care much for the hunting anymore. <laughs> He's got his <laughs> so own little rut going. on. Yeah, I can't. That's right. And I can't. I can't talk my daughter into going with me. She don't care anything about it. So just out there by myself. So that's okay. Yeah. Like whatever they want to do. But yeah, they not. They're not really into
0: it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you get. You had an email. Uh, you sent an email to me, and the title of it was <laughs> success story on transitioning from wrist to thumb release. And this got me really interested, uh, curious because I, myself, I I don't shoot a lot, but I'm, I'm really curious, or I should say I don't shoot as much as I need to. Uh, or as as an art a, you know, so you you send me this email basically saying, "Hey, man, I want to tell my story on this because I think it would mm-hmm. make you know a lot of guys or gals better archers." So, um, I yeah. just, I want to I want to talk about that. And the first question yeah. that I want to ask you is: Going all the way back to your first compound and your first release, was your very first release always a? like a, a, a wrist trigger release? It was, it well, it's never
1: been, well, I guess back in, the, I didn't start bow hunting until, I would say probably 95 when I was in college. I bought my, my college roommate was a big bow hunter and he got me into it and I bought his old bow. And back then they had these, uh I'm not sure what the name of them are, but it's like a, it was almost a modern day sort of handheld, but it was like a, had a button and you punched the button to, to fire the release. I'm not sure what it was called. But it wasn't was I mean, it was anyhow I used that for maybe a season, then I finally went and bought me one of the nice wrist releases. Um and that's what basically basically that first year I've I've been wrist released ever since until uh two years ago I believe. But Gotcha. And uh that's 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 what I've always done. um uh, and I just I see I and I'm pretty much self taught and
0: and when you when you when you're
1: self taught a lot of times I mean you can teach yourself into bad habits or some of your friends are not uh quite uh you know, the skill level, you know, they they may have taught their self. So when you got somebody taught their self and they passing on to you what they taught themselves, you get into a lot of bad habits and and, and I and that's like i so I I probably have been Punching and trigger on releases for years, and I just never knew it yeah until uh until I discovered the uh you know the 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 uh the uh
0: thumb release well, I can't
1: think of the word but yeah yeah the the better uh possibility
0: of, you know using a thumb release right, right. and uh it's not not punch and trigger and stuff right. So, I mean, how would you describe your accuracy before you made the the transition from a uh from a a, a wrist release to a thumb release?
1: You know, I I, was, I considered myself, you know, pretty good archer uh back then, but um it seems like the more as I got on over into, you know, if few I mean, I I never I never was kind of the kind of archer, you know, the the shooter that would just Stack them on top of each other you know like knocking veins off uh, arrows all the time you know I but I'd get it within a reasonable uh circle you know that you know enough to kill the deer and uh and I I was just satisfied with that's well you know that's that's plenty good enough but as as I hunted a little more and I guess I got on into the seasons I would you know and it's so hot down here you can't hardly shoot year-round unless you got a indoor range or a huge fan or something because it's like you was saying earlier you just you just you're just soaking wet in the summertime it's so hot so i don't practice year round so when you get out there and start practicing um uh, the accuracy the accuracy is it wasn't as uh i don't know it just i would i would hit i would hit good and then i i might miss the entire target and uh then you know as i I think I started developing the target panic and I would like the first few shots of the evening or the morning when I got there to shoot, I would, I would, you know, aim at the bullseye and I might hit far right corner or I might miss the whole bag uh, yeah. and it, it'd take a couple of shots. And then once I kind of settled down the muscles, I guess kind of settled down, I'd start shooting, you know, back into a group again, but, and and I guess, you know, a lot of that's, I guess, muscle memory, but a lot of it was, uh, this, this kind of phenomenon of target panic. And I, and I, I finally, I got a, a camera on myself and just kind of film me, film myself shooting. you know, kind of get my, watch my phone on and, and you could, have, you know, I was listening to some podcasts on shooting form, uh, and, uh, and I could, I put it in, you know, did a little slow motion feature on the camera and, and I could see my index finger actually pull the trigger. You know, instead of just slowly, slowly pulling until it fires, I'd actually catch myself, uh, watch myself punching the trigger. You get the get the pin over the bullseye, and then when it floats up and out over the bullseye, you want to pull the trigger as soon as the pin is over the bullseye. And I I listened a lot to uh, I heard. Uh, uh, Mark's friend, what Andy made the other day. We we'd already talked about this having the podcast, but he came on. He was talking a lot about um, John Dudley. Yeah, and that's where I get a lot a lot of my the archery things that I've learned lately from him, and of course uh, Levi. And uh, but he, you know, he 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 talked about the, you know, how sensitive the index finger is and. And unless you can get a release that you can uh, increase the sensitivity, you know, where it's not so sensitive, you know, a harder trigger, then you know, you don't you don't want something with a light feather trigger, which I always thought was a good thing, but it's actually it's not a good thing. You want something that you can slowly pull till it fires. Right. But but uh, he, I, I, you know, he's one that I first heard, you know, kind of really promoting for, uh, you know, somebody who's not you know, you may be suffering with target panic or something like that to, to transfer over to the uh, thumb release. Right.
0: Right. So was there kind of a, a straw that broke the camel's back type of moment for you that said enough is enough. I'm going to go try, uh, a thumb release.
1: Yeah, I think it was my 2015 trip out to Kansas. Uh, we was out there and and it was a, it was a, it was a real good year the uh i' seen lots of bucks and uh and i had a i had several i probably had four or five shooter bucks that week that come in range course they were all chasing does and I couldn't hardly get them to stop but but so I finally got one to stop and he was he was probably forty yards out there and i and I was still shooting the wrist relief and i and uh I got it on him. he was quartering the way, but I got it on him and went to um make the shot. And and I'm pretty sure I punched the trigger. I wanted to say that you know, in my mind he, he didn't move a small step, but I think I pulled. I think I punched the trigger and almost jerked my bow arm a little bit. You know, almost like a, if you've ever um, fired a shotgun and like the the uh, the shell might be a blank or something, or it didn't fire. or You thought you pulled the trigger and didn't pull the trigger, but you jerk a little bit. Right, and I think I'd, I think I actually did that with my my bow arm. I think I actually pulled a little bit when I pushed the trigger. I think my bow arm pulled, and I wound up uh, wound up hitting the deer in the back end. Okay, and and he ran off, and we never found him. And I I wanted to blame that on the the deer taking a small step, but I believe I jerked, and and I said, you know, and I've been listening to a lot about thumb releases, and I said, well, I, I think this is worth giving it a shot. And uh, that's when I, I actually purchased uh, one of uh, John Dudley's thumb releases, the little two-finger thumb release. Yeah.
0: Now, making that transition, right? I mean, did you, you know, what was it it like right from the start? I mean, you you picked up that thumb release and you started shooting with it. Did it feel comfortable to you? Immediately, or was it something that you had to completely retrain yourself to do?
1: yeah the latter it was it was totally unnatural I just uh of course he he told uh, the best thing to do when you're doing that is uh especially first time users like myself is to just to get a you know blind bell shooting get you uh uh target out front of you four or five yards front of you you know, take the side off your bow and just practice uh, firing the release into the bag, you know, not even looking just just the motion, you know, just, uh, you know, he said, he, he kind of broke it down to where, you know, just almost like starting from square one, you know, if you, when you when you stand up, you know, get the process, get your feet under your hips, you know, hips under your shoulders, uh, focus on the target out in front of you, not the pin, of course, with, of course, not with the blind villain, but but he said, "Just get it out. Point your bow arm toward the target. Draw back, and then just slowly put pressure on that thumb release, and just pull, pull. And you're pulling that back elbow toward like an invisible wall behind you, and you just pull, pull till it fires. Well, the first few times, I would, I would pull, pull. And it seemed like you just, you never could make it fire, and I struggled with that for a little while, with making it fire. But I finally discovered that." Uh, the front bow arm has the shoulder on your front bow arm has to be lower has to sit lower than your back shoulder and if you get that shoulder down low it sort of locks bone on bone when you're pulling back and if you keep that shoulder low and it locks that shoulder in it allows your back shoulder to expand further and if you you keep pulling and pulling it eventually it will fire and your elbow will Come over the back. Back, you know, your hand will fly over your shoulder, your right shoulder, for an unexpected release. Uh, once, once you finally, it it took me a while to get the hang of it. Uh, but once you finally get that feel of that true, unanticipated release, it's like. I mean, I still, I did the blind bailing for probably three and a half weeks, maybe four weeks. I, I just go out in the garage every night and I would just blind bail for. 10 to 15 minutes and it, it takes a, it's a learning curve. It's, it's, it's a bigger learning curve than I thought. But yeah. once you kind of get the basics down, uh, there's nothing like it. Gotcha. But, so,
0: so then how long would you say that that process took? Um, not to, not until you were like efficient with the thumb release, but you know, cause you mentioned you, you blind bailed for three weeks and then you, mm-hmm. you know, how long after the blind bale, was there kind of a uh, another little time frame in there where you then started, uh, you know, really starting to sight in your bow, actually, actually using uh, a sight, using like hunting scenarios and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Whenever I completed the uh, blind bale, I went out. I finally went out to my target range. I have uh, some bags set up at like from 20 all the way out to 70 yards, and I so I, I got within I got within about 15 yards, 20 yards, you know, just practice on the real close ones and uh, and you know and get started sighting sighting everything in. But it, it once it, it, it's almost it's and this is what helped me out in Kansas, and this is what's really helped me overcome the target panic is concentrating on the process rather than uh getting excited over the, i mean I, I mean everybody gets excited when they see a good, a good set of horns but if you concentrate on the same form same process of shooting your bow every time you know you, you line your feet up the same way you get square you get like like say your feet under your hips hips under your shoulders point the bow toward the target you know you draw the release back and i would acquire this is one thing i wasn't doing either i wasn't and uh john kind of pointed this out too is you get your anchor first and then acquire the feet with you know you bring your nose down to the, to the line and acquire the feet but it's like this was just almost like a checklist if you do this do this do this and then you do an the exact same thing every time it almost becomes almost habit almost routine and by making sure i do the exact same thing every time i draw my accuracy really started increasing uh, increasing i started it uh grouping them real tight and uh and then I eventually you know started working out a little little further a little further and as long as I you know kept that front both shoulders uh, low you know lock locked it in uh loose uh, real uh, loose muscles from uh, like from my elbows to my fingers keep that tension free and uh just if you just if you just lock them steps in do the same thing over and over i mean its, it's i would say after another I say another two to three weeks. I felt like I had. Of course, I. You never say you master anything, but I felt like I'd really got a good grasp on it. You know. Gotcha.
0: Now, a lot of times, and this is something that's happened to me in the past, where um, I'll, I'll make a change in my archery equipment. Right. I'll, I'll start mm-hmm. shooting really good, and then all of a sudden, something happens. Whether I like my form goes away. Or I you know, I, I'm not following a process, you know, or I uh I'm s i am I start making mental mistakes maybe. Did you ever uh did you ever have any backward steps in in this process, in this transition?
1: Yeah. when uh when I moved out to the range, like to when I finished the blind bell, I moved out and and I, I would almost a couple of times I will would get a little almost too relaxed and like you know, I'd draw back and and I would relax a little too much, and being being used to uh, being used to shooting the wrist release, and you know having it attached to your arm, you know the big transition going into a, a something you hold in your hand, and and I, I think I relaxed a little too much. I only did this once, but I relaxed a little too much on my full draw, and I actually shot the release through my bow. And I've, I've heard a lot of people have done that. I shot it through the bow, and it almost went—I think it didn't go further in the air, but it bounced off the uh, piece of concrete pretty hard. I was scared I'd broke my release, but uh, but you know, other than other than other than that, uh, I, I had I had a couple accidental fires. When it, you know, if you come to full draw and let it back down, sometimes I would bump the thumb release. I had that happen
0: a couple times.
1: Yeah. It, was, it was a lot of little learning things, but. I know. Well, once, okay, once I kind of go ahead. Uh,
0: I I had a, uh, I, I, I tried a thumb release before too, and yeah. I did the <laughs> same exact thing, and I ended up getting stitches <laughs> in my chin. Oh, yeah. Because it bounced off the <laughs> riser was, and bounced back yeah. into my face.
1: I was lucky. It bounced. It hit the riser, but it kept going and it hit the, a little piece of concrete out in front of I me. And I was scared. I'd scared I'd broke the release, but it <laughs> but it didn't uh that's the only time i did that i was i was I was holding on a little too loose with my fingers and it shot right through the bow but luckily it didn't break it
0: uh so but so now practicing right i mean you've you you've been yeah. practicing and before the season started did you like the, the archery season did you yeah. feel confident or were you kind of like um, you know, I got this, or maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to go back to my wrist release. No, I, t- I tell
1: you, once, once I finally got my confidence and I knew that I wasn't going to, uh, fire my release through my bow again, once I got confident, I, you know, I started shooting a good bit every day and it was just, it almost, became, it became second nature. And I, it was, it just felt natural. I mean, I, it was, it's, was, of the feeling is like, I wish I had swapped over to this type of release several years ago because of my accuracy, my accuracy, you know, instead of like a, a you know a large pipe plate where I might scatter them around, it all it, all my arrows started grouping tight, you know, and um, of course not, I mean maybe not at 70 yards super tight, but I was I was in the kill zone, you know, if if I did the the process step by step. You know, I was putting them, putting them right in there, right on top of each other. And I, going into the season, I was very confident. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't kill a deer with my bow in Alabama this year. I, I didn't get to hunt a whole lot with work. But, but when I went out to Kansas, I was, I was very uh, confident, confident with my release when that, when that buck came in on me
0: gotcha. that morning. So you know, sounds to me like you were able to shoot consistently to where you got to the point where you know that you felt very confident with the equipment that you changed over to and then when the um you you had that encounter you start you know and the the buck came in you went into kind of an uh an autopilot but a good autopilot right that's
1: right yeah the good
0: autopilot yeah not not the other autopilot it was it was it was pretty it was pretty uh
1: it was a it was a real it was kind of a real sudden situation I was sitting there and I had already seen a couple smaller eight points, uh, probably in the 120 range and, and he just, I mean, I was just sitting there and it has been like 10 minutes of the thing and he just sort of come out of nowhere and he was on top of me before I knew it, before I knew it. And, you know, and so automatically your nerves, you know, when something just pops up and there he is, you automatically your heart raises your, I mean, your heart, heart rate raises and your adrenaline's pumping. And and uh, which is a a great recipe for a target panic, you know, to to make a bad shot. Yep. But once I saw him, I just I sort of zoned back in on my process. He he ran out there. I couldn't. I didn't get him to. stop. He actually ran directly up under my tree, but he wouldn't stop. And I finally got him to stop at forty yards. And I was already at full draw. And I just went into my process. I drew back, uh, made my anchor, acquired my peep. And just got him to stop. Put it in the put it in the uh, kill zone. Slowly pull back to my shot fired. You know, which, all of this was in a matter of just a few seconds, and uh, I made a. I mean, I made the perfect hot heart sh- shot. He ran like 40 yards and piled up. I mean, it, it, I couldn't have drew it out any better. I was, I was actually, I was actually, uh, I was pleased and surprised. You know that I was able to handle it in that in that quick quick uh, uh, momentary. You know sudden you know sudden the sudden uh right yeah my short, own tongue short time today, frame. <laughs> yeah the short time frame that he gave me you know that he just showed up and there he was and i was able to, uh,
0: to complete the shot right with no yeah. nerves so you know this this seemed to work for you right uh is this something that you would yeah. recommend to all all compound archers
1: I would. I've actually recommended it to a lot of my friends, you know, to give it a try. Of course, you know, so trying something new is always, I guess with anything in life, people don't really like to try anything new. They're comfortable with something. And and a lot of people don't really think they have a, you know, don't really have a target bank problem. But I would, I would say, I'd say a lot of the people probably have it, don't even realize they have it. Uh, some of the, some of the, some of your misses on your targets or, Misses on deer. I think it's. I think it's all all due to target panic. Uh, I, I I heard someone say. I can't recall who it was. that said, "When you can't hold your, you can't hold your, uh, pin over the uh, center of the target, you're not actually, uh, you're not actually scared of missing. You're actually afraid to hit. It's actually a reversal. You you can't hold it. You can't hold your pin directly over the center without yanking it off the center." And you know until you can overcome that, uh, I know Levi. Levi says to to draw your bow back and just hold your pin right in the center of the target for as long as you can until you start to shake. Then let back down. You know that's a little practice that you can do to help you overcome that panic. Yeah. And uh, there's actually I, I I never did this, but I, I see the uh, I see the benefit to it. Is one of these string trainers. Um, you, are you familiar with them? the string trainers? You, you get the it gets the exact uh, draw length of your bow. It's just a piece of string, and it, you uh, they make adjust. You know they're adjustable, and you make it the exact same draw length as your bow, and you attach your release to it. It's just a piece of string, and you just in your downtime you just draw back, pull your release to it fires, pull your release to it fires. You know over and over and over just to build, yeah, build your uh, confidence with your release and. I think that makes I think it makes all the difference. I actually I, I would I would definitely the thermal release is not a true back tension release, but you can fire it like a back tension release. And I I really think the majority of the the uh, people out there, if they give it a shot, I think they would really fall in love with it. I, I know I have. I, I know I I don't plan on ever going back to it. I actually have a uh, release. I'm mean, I was going to hold on to it. I'm probably just going to sell it because I I like the hand releases that much
0: so the next the next question I have for you then is okay so you went from a uh, a wrist to a thumb now do you ever see yourself going f- uh, from a thumb release to a true back tension release
1: I don't I don't think so uh you know at least for, for hunting purposes I think for hunting purposes you still need just a little bit of control I mean I'm not going I'm not gonna punch the trigger. I know now some people they make a release, uh the, you know, not the not the hinge release, but they make another release that's sort of a back tension. But if I mean I like I say I know I'm still amateur, I'm far from perfect, but if you don't make with the back tension, if you don't uh have your shoulder in the correct position and able to expand your shoulder to the release fires, it's not going to fire. You know, that that's that's what would scare me if a hundred and end of your butt comes out there and i and i freeze up and i can't make my bow fire right uh, at least with the thumb release if you keep applying pressure to that thumb release it's gonna basically fire and i, I think i've i have uh defeated the you know the punched in the squeezing with my finger i, I just i actually almost like hyper extend my thumb and just put pressure on it and just pull pull till that till the release fires and and the thumb releases are tension. You can adjust the tension to a stronger tension or a lighter tension to where it fires at different amounts of pressure you put on it. But I I would, I don't think I would ever transition over to a trimenge. I think thumb release, for, for hunting purposes, in my opinion, that's, that's I think that's almost sort of the perfect little
0: setup. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, my friend but sounds like uh you have made a a good decision and it's probably something that I need to do man so far i've been talking a lot about improving my archery skills and it is mm-hmm. very important to me but I, dude i'm i'm and this is a straight up excuse because i'm using time <laughs> as a you know i i i tell myself dude i don't have enough time but after i get done recording this it's going to be about Oh, eight o'clock at night and I'm going to go in my backyard. I'm going to try to fire a couple of arrows uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Cause I have a, I bought a, I bought a, um, a back tension release. I have a thumb release okay. and I have a wrist release yeah. and uh, I just, for some reason, I just keep going back to my wrist release, uh, because probably because I don't, I don't put enough time into it as I probably should. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I, I still love the original releases, but and that's what, like, that's what I've done ever since the mid '90s. But and that's what we're all comfortable with. That's what the majority of under use. But uh, the more time I put in with the thumb release, it's it's become my go-to. I really, I really totally love uh, using that. But
0: sounds uh, good, man. Well, I tell you what, Chris, I really yep. appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast and. Uh, chat about that transition I think uh, I think if it doesn't influence someone to go and, and make that change it's going to get people to at you know at least think about it
1: yeah I, I encourage everybody to at least at least investigate it do your research on the internet and like they don't definitely don't take my word for it but uh, like I say I love it it's
0: And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Chris for stopping by, chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all of you who even on a holiday had taken the time to listen to this podcast. And the best part about this, this podcast will be on the internet pretty much for the rest of eternity or as long as I'm alive. And you can listen to it now, you can listen to it tomorrow, or you can listen to it five years from now. But just listen to it. So, huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast because if it wasn't for them, this would not be possible. Exodus Trail Cameras, Wasp Broadheads, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime Archery, Ripcord Arrow Rest, Ozonics, and now Hunter Safety Systems. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast thank you thank you thank you i'm gonna keep it short you guys go spend some time with your family enjoy this great country and the freedoms that come with it and i tell you what man happy fourth of july happy independence day and if you're gonna be in a tree hunter safety systems is reminding you to wear your damn safety harness have a good fourth Thank you.